Dan. Hi, Becky. Hi, everybody out there in your homes. Hi, everyone. Um, how's it going? Okay. How's it going with you? Um, good. Uh, I have a new segment. Oh, great. Right off the bat. Yeah, that I'd like to start with. Um, it's called the Traffic Report. Okay. Welcome to the H Word. Yeah, welcome to the H Word. This is the Traffic Report. Uh, that's great. not the name. That's a segment that we... With all of our segments, we haven't managed to keep one for more than an episode, but we're going to try this out. Sounds good. Um, because I live in Toronto on the Gardner Expressway, a major commuter uh, thoroughfare. And I, so I can look at it in the morning and in the evening. And I just like to report that rush hour does not exist in Toronto anymore. <laughs> we have wiped it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been, I even sometimes turn on CBC uh, radio drive time just to listen to the traffic reporters say that there's nothing happening every day. <laughs> like every once in a while, there's a fender bender somewhere, but it's not really affecting traffic. I think uh, isn't there, it feels like a Simpsons joke, like, you know, cut to like uh, Brockman, like being like, and nothing is going on. Like uh, it would actually be um, Ernie Pie in the sky. <laughs> he'd be the traffic reporter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's consuming fossil fuels for all of us. Yeah, in the helicopter. Yeah, so that's um, that's it. It's it's quite calm and calming. Huh. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about this last time, but I, I will look out my window and and see everyone taking their promenades. Mm-hmm. Um, more walking, I think, than normal. Um which makes it feel like it's busier than it actually is. How, is it? Is that stressful? Do they seem too close? Yeah, you know who I hate the most now? Oh, who do you hate? This is another because, great segment. Who does I, Dan hate? Who does Dan hate? I mean, because uh, you know how... Uh, are, you a, are you a cyclist? Um, I'd like to be. <laughs> okay. But well, I need go. a bike. I'm going to put that out there. My bike has uh, had its last summer. Okay, listeners. We Becky, are taking donations. Becky needs a bike. Throw it on her balcony. She'll wipe it down with Lysol. Um, I, uh, as a cyclist, I felt like I was the most hated entity on the road. Yeah. Pedestrians hated me. Cars hated me real bad. I just felt like the lowest rung. And now I feel like the lowest on the rung is joggers. Oh. Yeah. Because I hate them and I don't know anyone who likes them. What do you hate specifically about joggers? Like get out of get out of here with your with your panting breath on the back of my neck as you pass. Oh yes, they're, they're, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they're droplet machines. They're droplet machines, and it's like and and uh, I live near a um, pedestrian bridge, and there's stairs to get up it and stairs to get down it. I mean, the stairs go both ways, really. It's a two way street. Yeah. Um, it's not a ramp but, down and stairs up. Yeah, and it's not like you can't. You're not allowed to take the stairs down like you are. Right. You can just reuse the same stairs you use to get up. Um, it's, stairs but, are a great a great design. They're a great concept. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, reversible, sort of. And mm-hmm. so you see these people doing their workout on these stairs, and it's like, I'm trying to like use these to get around, and you have turned this into your gym, and it just feels like the, they are the runners. It's the outdoor exercisers who feel they have this real entitled red face about them. Uh, now, now you though are, you're using the stairwell in your building as a gym though. Yes, and so, I and I immediately get out of the way when I see anyone, and I'm sure they don't like me when they see that. But I've only ever seen one other person, and I've been doing this for five days. Right. Okay. Cool. I was. It was interesting because I don't even remember when we talked about that. We recorded something for Stacy McGonigal. It might have been then, but um, 
you know, you're doing this exercise in your stairwell. And I was like, at a certain point, it's a confined space. The airflow isn't as good. Maybe that's dangerous. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I I don't don't think it's a tenable situation because um, I think it's going to get a little more active in there. And, um, you know, I'm going to have to just restrict the cardio to my apartment. Yeah, I, I on the other hand, am doing uh, almost no physical activity. Um, I see. And I'm, I'm down to eating half a meal a day. Excuse me? Yeah, I, I can't eat anything because I don't move around enough to work up an appetite. Uh, this, this has to change. Like, I checked in about this today when I realized how little I was eating. Um, but I'm just not hungry because I'm not doing anything. So I, I'm going to have to come up with a plan. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty – we can do that right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The plan is you gotta you gotta move around. Yeah, but I mean, like as far as what? See, I'm the kind of person who doesn't exercise, um, uh-huh. but who just maintains like an active lifestyle. And the way that I walk is intense. If I'm alone, I in fact I prefer walking alone when I'm going to do groceries rather than with my husband because I walk a lot faster than him. Right. And but so- now you you were telling me that you have been going outside. I had been. You had been. You're not anymore. No, I haven't so much in the past couple of days. I did a grocery shop that was really intense and honestly fun. I know that I know I shouldn't. I feel guilty admitting how much I enjoy the sort of projects of all this. But, but I went for a grocery shop um, because now you're supposed to do it once a week. So I did that. And yeah, do you wear a mask? No, I did yesterday. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I didn't. Kept distance, just did all my washing, sprayed down the cart handle. You know, we made yeah. a, we made we made two lists and divided it up by side of the store. It felt like a really good team mission. But I did that. Okay. Anyway, but I, I I rely on just like inherent activity to get my exercise for the most part and then maybe a bit of yoga uh-huh. in the morning. But I gotta I gotta up it. Well, I'm getting but, weird. But but here's my point. You are willing to go outside. You went out for a grocery shop. Yeah, but I'm, you're supposed to minimize it. You're supposed to minimize it because a grocery store has close contact. Yeah. But, but if you if you are able to take an hour walk a day and you do one of these intense hour walks, then and you keep distance the whole time, I believe you're okay. And uh, that would accomplish this exercise you're looking for i just don't know what i would would argue you need i i just don't know what's allowed anymore and i don't know how to be a responsible citizen no you're right i'm gonna go down to the lake it's double digits today which i guess if you're an american you don't know what that is double digits is when on the centigrade scale the temperature goes into double digits yeah and and what happens is when you see someone (laughs) the first person you see on the day you say double digit you scream double digits at each other yeah and uh and if, uh, depending on who says it louder, then they are the double digit for the day. You owe them, a, you owe them a Coke. You owe them a Coke, and it has to be hot. It has to be in the sort of, has to be a high temperature because that signifies yeah. the hot, the, the warmth of the day. Yeah. And by Coke, we mean a no-name brand president's choice soda. Um, yes. President being Galen Weston. <laughs> this will make no sense. To anyone outside of Canada, Galen Weston is doing daily addresses like the prime minister right now. He, uh, yes. A gro- yeah. Grocery magnate. Um, Dan. And he started his with a rollicking double digits this morning, and it was great. <laughs> he chugged a hot pop uh, for the country. Um, you have Dan- a question for me? Yeah. Well, I I had um, I had a hopeful 
this oh, week. Oh, wow. That is not corona related. Okay. Now, I know from working. Bold. Yeah, it is old. Um, no, bold, bold. Oh, bold. Well, it's also an old story. And I know from working, um, I got my job back at Because News. I think we covered that last week. And Wow. Uh, yeah. And so I know from writing for that that you cannot find a non-COVID related story on the front page of any any newspaper. That's right. <laughs> or with their front page of their website. Um, but this was when I bookmarked a while ago. Uh, Dan, did you know that two people have been cured of HIV? Uh, part of me feels like yes. Okay. I was, yeah. I did not know until I read this article. So qu- quietly, by my standards, because I hadn't heard of it, there's a second person was cured of HIV. Yeah. W- wasn't it a, wasn't it a, um, a bone marrow transplant or something? Yeah. It's, it's intense. So there's a reason why this treatment isn't worthwhile. This, this guy, so this is a story from the New York Times. He um, was known as the London patient. He's come out publicly just to, um, you know, share his identity and his story. Um, Idris Elba. It's, it's Idris Elba? Idris Elba. The London patient. Did not have HIV, Dan. Oh, okay. Sorry. As far as I know, he has coronavirus. Okay. Um, Point taken. But just to be clear, we don't get a lot of facts, right? But I certainly didn't want to put that in there. Um, But uh, anyway, he, he... he had HIV, then he got cancer. So as a, as a last-ditch cancer treatment, he got this really intense bone marrow transplant, and the donor happened to have this, I'm going to get the terms wrong here, but like antibody, something in their blood that made their blood fight HIV, and that cured the HIV. Now, this is such an invasive and so risky um, to your life, a process, that it's not it's not itself a viable treatment for HIV because, I mean, he had terminal cancer and it cured him of that. So it, it's worth the risk for that. But HIV is so treatable right now that it would it would just kill way too many people to do the specific thing. But it's it definitely it provides hope that a cure is possible. Yes. Yeah. I do remember that. He had, yeah. It's um, a wild story. And, and, and when we have all this sort of disease stuff in our brains right now i i kind of wanted a the happier disease story because the the news is grim yes yes um but well thank you for that yeah. um i i have something unfortunately oh. it is covid related that's fine uh okay well of course that's fine uh i wanted to recommend an article uh to everyone to all of our listeners um it was sent to me by my friend, Jordan Canning, oh, name drop. she's amazing. She's a friend of mine. And uh, it is from the Harvard Business Review. Okay. Uh, the headline is, That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. Um, it's, so just look for those. They, uh, I believe there's an announcement made on their website that they're giving all of their content for free right now during this crisis. Amazing. Um, so uh, the... Harvard Business Review, the staff writers all were online meeting and uh, someone mentioned that they were experiencing grief in this time. And the other other writers sort of nodded and agreed that they were feeling something like that. So they reached out to uh, David Kessler, um, who they called the world's foremost expert on grief. He co-wrote uh, On Grief and Grieving, The Five Stages uh, with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Um, and 
he wrote himself a sixth book called um, The Sixth Stage of Grief, uh, Finding Meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he just discusses uh, this feeling of um, this, this, this discomfort that we're feeling to be there's certain aspects of it and certain people are experiencing grief. Um, and he brought up a comparison that I, that I had myself over the last couple of days, which was to 9-11 um, in the way that 9-11 was kind of a transformative experience. Right. Um, where life kind of never went back to the way it was before. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of feels that way, too. I was describing um, this to my friend. I'll, go, I'll just do it again. Paul Beer was his name. I, and, Paul's um, also great. We can, I think we're allowed to say our friends' names. Well, uh, <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Um, <laughs> and I described this feeling of like, of like trying to turn, a, trying to turn a, a, a tanker in the in the water. It's very difficult. And it felt like getting everyone to do what we're doing now felt like moving a tanker and it's kind of incredible that yes. we've done that right yeah, we'll look absolutely. out the window and be like the world is different how did this happen how are we here how are we doing this yeah we can do it we can do it but it does also feel like you know to bring back this stairs upstairs downstairs uh symbol um it's going to be hard to just do it backwards you know it, it's going you can't just steer steer the tanker right back to where it was going before um so wait is that is that a good thing no, it's a it's an uncertain kind of scary thing, and I think that's what's bringing about this feeling of grief because people are kind of grieving uh, the way life was, you right. know. Um, and I, it's 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 funny to think about. Um, like people will talk about, oh, you know, remember how things were before the plague or whatever, and it's like there are things that that will that will go away. Um, from that old life, that old life that that sort of ended the way like the NBA season was canceled, where you sort of like were like, oh, that's happening now. It's like, yeah, like some things will not come back. Um, and I think that is bringing about some grief for some people, right? Me, but al- me also, included. Also, some bad things might not come back. I'm hoping. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I um, I've been working for a while, a little, the last little while on a pitch for an animated show. And I think I told you about it. I'm not sure if I did, but the plot of it is what's happened now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And um, I don't know what to do with that thought. That's the only thing I'm grieving because I was like, does this make it more useful or less useful? I certainly look a lot less psychic. <laughs> um, but I'm yeah. feeling like the character that I wrote with myself in mind, someone who is is happy in this environment. And, and this notion that you bring up of grief, well, those of us who aren't grieving didn't didn't have as much to lose. Those of us that aren't grieving Maybe. didn't that's have not, as much to lose. That's not fair to say. But like in, in the conversation last week with Gavin Crawford, he was talking about how he has things, but he's not attached to them. So one of the things that we have to grieve is like our attachment to material yes. goods. I mean, there, there's, and, and not to say that there aren't people who are going to be genuinely grieving their loved ones, but, you know, Gavin and I both have people in our lives who are quite old and ill. And so the confrontation of losing them is something that's been sitting with us very presently for a while. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, life walks hand in hand with death every day. Yeah. I, I lost my parents, uh, my father, in a very, very violent and unexpected manner. And so I've been through those things. So I think, yeah, this is what life is like all the time. This doesn't feel different to me, other than like going to the grocery store and there's not as much stuff there. But 
like you can get hit by a bus yeah. or struck by lightning any day and i've always felt like that yeah and, and i think and i think um that points to uh, i think something we were talking about in a previous episode about living with uncertainty and how yeah. you sort of grew up in a state of uncertainty and so you're familiar with it and so i think it yeah i think it is trying to sort of drop a hand down to people who aren't used to that kind of uncertainty and to maybe just name that that you know you are yeah. feeling what what he called sort of an anticipatory grief you know you're worried about grieving in the future right. um and you know just to look around you and look at what what is what is around you and what is happening around you and how how the, you know the worries you have are not happening right now yeah and also to know that like grief is absolutely a part of life and loss is a part of life yeah and that the stability really to me seems illusory is that the right word uh illusory illusory yeah um um yes and, and that is a later stage of grief for sure but uh -huh. I, I like this idea of meaning. Yeah, that's the that that's the final final. Well, one of the things I've been thinking about is is this period of time like going to be something of a spiritual awakening? I, maybe that's a further along thought, but it's funny because like you know a lot of my friends who are more involved in that sort of realm spiritual stuff have been talking for a while about like a spiritual awakening being on the horizon. And that's sort of what everyone talks about all the time if they're spiritual. So I, I am cynical enough to put that out there. But um, I think confronting mortality and also confronting community and togetherness the way that we are right now is transformative in a way that I would, I would define as spiritual. Hmm. I don't, also don't think spirituality is quite as separated with like normal day-to-day -day life as everybody, as not everybody else, as the naysayers say it is. You know, I right. think I think like getting up on stage and being able to do something that makes somebody laugh is kind of inexplicable magic in many ways. I see. And so yeah. just to make it clear, like where my thoughts are, being able to tell someone something and then that thought's in their head is pretty impressive. <laughs> and then they change their behavior. Right. That's magic. Yeah. Anyway, but um, it feels like we have to deal with each other in a different way. And it's it could be very, very scary for a lot of people, but I think it's cool yeah um today i uh have an interview for us to listen to great with my buddy leah bukareff who uh it lives in berlin oh wow yeah so i don't know where exactly this podcast is going but i, I i'm trying to reach out to friends who are afar to sort of check in with them and also as time goes on i don't want to just talk about being this illness i think we're going to have to psychologically move on from it but um uh -huh. so leah and i talk about sort of what's going on there but also just her cool life and she wanted to go see your movie when it was screening there but she didn't make it out <laughs> well i i hope that's a large portion of the conversation she's pretty upset now because she can't go to movie theaters just kidding i can't speak for her <laughs> <laughs> well i can't wait to hear it uh thank you dan i'll talk to you soon yeah sounds good okay bye you're okay, my best bye. friend bye um hello everybody uh, this is Becky. I'm in my home in self-isolation in Toronto, and I have a very far away guest. It's my buddy, Leah Bukareff. Leah, want to say hello? Hello. Hi. Uh, where are you? I'm in Berlin in my yeah, is... apartment. 
this is this is great. This is uh, Dan was in Berlin a while ago when people were still allowed to travel, but you live there. Yeah, I listened to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those listening at home, um, this uh, this podcast is really just like a, me making a time capsule of all my friends <laughs> before the world ends. I think. <laughs> All my favorite people all over the world. Um, so, Leah, do you want to introduce yourself, who you are and, and what you do, before we get into other stuff? Uh, okay. Um, I'm Leah. I used to be Becky's downstairs neighbor. Um, yeah, I missed that. Becky taught me how to crochet, and we did a lot of crafty stuff together. And then I moved away to come to Germany. And, yeah, now I... Play in a band, and I sell paper. <laughs> and I make stuff. I don't know. I do a bunch of things. I guess. Yeah. Um, Bookbinder. Yeah, I'm a bookbinder. Also, I... um, ran the Toronto chapter of the Church of Craft. That's how we met. That's true. I did that. I was married in the Church of Craft. Oh yeah, in New York. Yeah, in the Watchtower um... Tower. Watchtower. What do you call it in Brooklyn? I don't know. Etsy was there I, for some time. Oh. Sorry, I'm totally getting off topic. That's fine. doesn't matter. We've got nothing but time. Oh, Everyone's yeah. got nothing but time, <laughs> except, for, except for the people working really, really hard. Everybody else has to just do nothing, and that's our civic duty. Um, how are you handling this civic duty? Also, I guess I should ask first, like, you're in Germany. I think I was really interested to know, like, what the vibe is there, what the rundown is. Hmm. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Uh, last week was super weird because everything just happened really fast. Like every day, every few hours sometimes, information just kind of changed. At the beginning of the week, there was like just not an issue <laughs> anywhere. And suddenly, one week later, uh, we're in our apartments and... Parks and playgrounds are boarded off, and yeah, suddenly we're on kind of a lockdown. I could still go outside. I could still go grocery shopping. Right. I could like bike around, but but you said something about like you have to keep your ID with you. Oh uh, yeah, you have to. There's a very good chance that uh, so you're not a you're not allowed to meet in public with more than two people like more than two people at a time could meet in public right now and right. it's uh i don't know if it's a complete rule but it's been said that you should only be in public with the person that you live with if you live with someone and if you don't live with anyone then you just you can't meet anyone <laughs> and <laughs> too bad for you so you have to walk around with your passport with your uh i mean if you don't have German identification, which I don't have. So with my visa and also with my, you register to live here. So you register your apartment and you have to walk around with that registration everywhere to show that you are a resident of the city. Yeah. That's, I mean, weird. I guess those are good measures, but that's scary. It's a little weird. It's definitely a little weird. Especially like, I mean, you and I are both Jewish and I, that just echoes some weird <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it's a little bit strange, it's for sure. For, it, I mean, I'm I'm certainly more concerned about the actual policies in the States. I'm quite horrified right now. This does seem like, 
I, I, I don't know. We're, we're watching. I'm seeing a bunch of like my lefty friends on Twitter being like, just lock down the country, install, yeah, like, institute martial law because people aren't listening. And that's that's true. I know. It is a little scary. I mean, I totally understand the need to for people to isolate, but it is a little worrisome. I mean, border European borders are closed. This hasn't been oh, the case the, for the border to like Nova Scotia is closed. Oh god, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, oh, but Oh my god. How, how do so how do you feel about all that? It's I it's a little uncomfortable. I mean, I'm not European. I'm like a straight up foreigner here. I can I'm I have like no European immediate ancestry so i'm really in a foreign place even though i've lived here for a really long time wait don't you what about russia that's not that doesn't count here (laughs) it's not european no (laughs) what's russia russia's russia russia's russia okay (laughs) and also i mean my parents were born in china so even russia doesn't even really count for me so yeah it's like it's a little weird i don't know it's I I, th- I guess the check border was the first one to close, and we're not so far from it. And... Well, you and I drove through the check, didn't we, with Aiden? Oh yeah, we did. That's right. We drove oh, th- that to Austria. Weird. We ended we ended up on like a gravel road for <laughs> yeah. miles and miles and miles. Yeah. Oh, we did that same drive last year too. I thought of you. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> Don't doesn't everything you and I have both traveled quite a bit? Like you tour with your band with your husband Aiden, Nadja. Um, but uh, don't, don't like all the objects in your home remind you of the places you've been and how you can't go anywhere now? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess that's or true. Did I just, or did I just put that thought in your head <laughs> now? <laughs> Wrecked everything. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't actually, I don't feel, I don't feel threatened right now, actually. I'm, I'm not worried about getting sick. Um, I'd be worried about who I could make sick. But, uh, yes. And I also, I mean, okay, there's like scary shit happening around the world right now and a lot of scary shit happening in Europe and there's refugees that are just totally stuck on borders and no man's lands and like nobody is helping them because everybody is completely obsessed with what's happening in their apartments at the moment. And so... I'm not really too concerned about us um, yeah, and our own well-being. I mean, as musicians, you I mean, you're also a performer, you know, everything is can't spring is canceled. Like a lot of people just don't have an income. Yeah. But actually we're, I mean, I don't know. We have a nice apartment. We have cats. We have uh, a supermarket that still sells food and we're okay. It's it's relatively easy to live cheaply here as you've experienced, you know. Yeah. So, I'm not too concerned. I'm not too worried. I know this will pass. Um I'm I like to be hopeful that maybe uh some good things will happen from this. There's a lot of really nice acts of solidarity between like artists and artist organizations and small businesses with each other like there's not a lot of competition happening everybody feels like they're in the same boat right now and 
everybody is just trying to be as helpful as possible because there's not a lot any of us could do, but there's like small, small acts of kindness and small like little ways we could help each other. And I don't know, I feel like it's, it's shitty. And maybe just because it's been sunny the last week, (laughs) I'm feeling Mm -hmm. optimistic about things and I don't know. I'm feeling okay. Like, what if we come out of this with universal basic income? What if we come out of this with, like, better health care in some places that don't have it? I don't know. Yeah, I'm feeling all that stuff, too. What if we come out of this with better um, environmental policies? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the air over the continent must be so much nicer right now without yeah, all those fucking easy jets in the air. Yeah, it is. Um, I know I'm having I mean, I'm, I'm having all these thoughts, too. And you and I are on the same page. I mean, like our the, the Venn diagram of us was this sort of sustainable craft movement. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but the other side of what I know about you is like, so you're, you're a quiet person, but also also a social person insofar as like, you know, you're the first thing that you moved towards as as an organizer in craft was weekly gatherings, the Church of Craft. So the Church of Craft, for those who don't know the way it worked, is like, or I can let you explain it. You'll explain <laughs> it better than I will. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess the idea was it was like a skill sharing, but also this acknowledgement that making things yourself and with your own hands, there was like a meditative quality to it. And hence the church aspect of it um and yeah i don't know it was just it kind of just like-minded people coming together and not even like-minded a lot of us came from like really different weird places but yeah oh god it was so long ago actually that's so interesting yeah i've kind of uh, it was it was long ago it was such a like i i i believe if i may speak for both of us like such a formative period for both of us that was like the 2000s right yeah like early Um, 2000s but there was like so the scene then was like i can't remember when etsy launched in like 2007 or something like that no it was way earlier than that it was like 2005 no it was earlier than that it was like 2003 or four really well two oh right 2007 was when we all went to pittsburgh yeah but it was it might have been a couple years old then yeah um but uh, before that, there was something called Craftster, which might still be oh, around. Yeah, but, which was like a web website with different forums all over it, and you would do things like swap stuff or like request things. And I had like strangers just make me skirts, and then I'd like crochet a hat for someone. <laughs> yeah, I totally but it was this sort of that. that was the two thousands kind of internet. Um, and but one of the things that was interesting there was that I realized like the common ground here is craft. I I don't necessarily politically agree with everybody, but we're not talking about that. You'd get little snippets of like, oh, this person might not have come to crafting the exact way I did. Yeah. Um, but and Church of Craft was like that too. I didn't ask people what they're I didn't we didn't talk about kind of other stuff. Yeah, definitely. We stayed, we, we stayed away from anything that was tense. And honestly, I think that, that I, I learned a lot from that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I always thought that I was really, um, I just had a tolerance for people, <laughs> like yeah. all sorts of people. And I just always assumed that was just because of the family I came from. But uh, yeah, definitely doing the stuff with crafts at the beginning 
and the Church of Craft and organizing things with strangers, total strangers, a lot of people I didn't know. And, and putting out open calls so just anyone yeah, can show up. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to run down just briefly your family? Because it's quite a unique family. And this, you kind of mentioned that they came, they were born <laughs> in China. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating the, the I mean, trajectory. I, well, I guess basically my parents were born to Russian refugees during World War II. And instead of going to Europe, they went to China. And so my parents were born weirdly in the same place. Uh, it's it's probably this area, the uh, the the Uyghurs. It's like this like area in the west of China where there's still like small non non Chinese kind of Buddhist or uh, Muslim and uh, not the Uyghurs. Ah, yeah, this area. Because my grandmother also, my dad told me once my grandmother also uh, spoke a bit of Arabic and stuff just because the neighbors did. Right. And that area is, it's in the news a lot lately because the Uyghur Muslims are not being treated very well in China. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, so it's like this weird, it was because they were coming from Russia in this like area near the stands, like Kazakhstan in this area and coming down and... I don't know. I'd have to look it up to find out exactly where it was again. But it was in That's this right. like weird area. And then when the Russians came in, Mao put all these like Russian refugees in trucks and sent them to the border so they could like get on ships. I guess when the by the time the war ended, American ships took them to the Philippines. And I know my mom's family. <laughs> There was like a refugee camp in the Philippines for Russians and stuff like they were called white Russians also. So they were like mixed up with everyone. Basically non, uh, non, non Asian, non red Russians, as in non, Whoa. uh, non communist Russians, like people right. who were either monarchists or. So you were communist or you were white? Yeah, they called them white Russians. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it was weird. They ended up in the Philippines. My my mom's family uh, had a bit of money, and my grandfather got them to San Francisco, and my dad's family went to South America, eventually making their way up to also San Francisco, where my parents met. And, yeah, some of my family was born in – my oldest siblings were born in San Francisco, and then my parents moved to – London, Ontario, <laughs> where I was born. <laughs> uh, and you have a big family. And I have a big family. I have six brothers and sisters. Yeah. I'm the second youngest. It's And the it's one so that wild. ran away <laughs> as far yeah. away as possible. <laughs> yeah, there's usually one. That makes sense. It's a lot. It's a, it's a big household. I remember you talking about really chaotic, like, grocery shopping trips. But oh, yeah. I guess, I guess you're back to chaotic grocery <laughs> shopping trips now. Or they're very regimented. I don't know what's No, happening. I mean, they weren't really chaotic, actually. My mother, my mom loved grocery shopping so much. She would go for hours and hours, and one of us would get <laughs> to go with her, usually on a school night. And it would have to be after my parents closed up their shop. So it would be, like, until midnight. And it was so much fun because we could, like, stay up until midnight gro grocery shopping with my mother. 
But she taught me how to, like... What would she do for hours? Oh, my God. She would look at everything. She would, like, (laughs) feel every fruit. And, like, she was buying for seven kids. Even when a lot of them moved out, they would, like, know when grocery shopping night was. So they would come home and do their (laughs) own grocery shopping (laughs) right out of my mother's bags. Amazing. So these are hopefully the people that I see at the grocery store who have like two carts full of stuff have like a nine person family. Yeah. I mean, when whoever got to go grocery shopping with my mom would get their own cart and then like she would send you off on little errands through the shop to get stuff. It was super fun. This is amazing. Like, um, Aitor and I this week are trying to do uh, like an organized one shop for the week because that's what's been recommended. Mm. And uh, it's like the first time we've ever done that. I was surprised that you said that, though. Wouldn't that, like, encourage hoarding for people to, like, shop for further in advance? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what encourages what. I, I think, I mean, my my guess would be that people are gonna ho- who are going to hoard are going to hoard anyway. Yeah. Just go out less. That's the message. Right, right. Like, oh, I see. And- I see, yeah. I actually like picked up from uh, from visiting you in Berlin and going to Istanbul where um, my brother-in-law was that I was like, I, I don't like this North American thing of having a fridge full of junk that you're going to use. I like this like plan your meal on the way home, pick up some food and eat that tonight. So I tried to move in that direction here in Toronto and now it's like, no, that's not what you do. Go out once a week. Don't be going out constantly and touching everything. So... What's what's the vibe on the street now in Berlin? Uh, I guess it depends on the neighborhood. It's pretty... Um, I mean, you can go out on the street and not know anything is wrong. There's quite a few people out and about. I guess since the new measures were passed on Monday morning, it's quieted down a bit, but it's also weekdays. Uh, I know that some neighborhoods, like the neighborhood... Uh, where my studio is in Neukölln, I think that uh, there was quite a few people out. It was really warm last week, and mm-hmm. even though the bars are closed, all the like the corner stores, you could buy anything to drink. And as you re- might remember, you could drink on the street <laughs> here, no problem. Yeah. And a lot of these spätis have uh, like a seats outside and tables and so people are just sitting on the street drinking and gathering in groups anyway so there's still at least last weekend there was still quite a few people out and partying and the parks were full of people drinking getting together playing ping pong yikes but uh i don't know i don't know since the new measures were passed just yesterday i guess with no more than two people Although yesterday when I was riding home, I had to like really go through a pretty big crowd of, I don't know, late teens, early 20 somethings that were really taking up the entirety of the walkway. So I don't know, there's lots of people who are still ignoring it for sure. But what about Berlin's all night rave scene that never stopped? Well, that's like a, it's also a big problem because all the clubs are closed and they were there's a bit of a concern that some of the clubs won't survive this and there's like everything else there's yeah. um 
supports going through and people are trying to live stream concerts and events and raise money this way. And I don't know. But yeah, no, the rave has ended <laughs> for now. Oh, my God. It finally ended. It only took it 40 years <laughs> to go on pause for a second or more. 50? Has that rave been going on for 50 years? Uh, 70s? No. I mean, the real party started when the wall came down. Of course. But I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> right. How ridiculous of it. <laughs> I'm sure it was going on before then in parts. Um, and do you think that this is like the right choice? For everything to be shut down like this? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's really, well, I mean, I, I just, I really wanted to ask you, like, to kind of get the lay of the land where you are, because I, I feel completely out of touch here. I only am talking to a few friends and, like, looking at the lake. So is everything seems really calm here. And I'd also, I mean, the, the prime minister is making an address every day. Every weekday wow. from his home where he's in isolation. So wow. that feels pretty serious. Bored. Yeah, he's also <laughs> bored. He's also podcasting every day. <laughs> no, but like yesterday was just, you just said like, enough is enough. Stay in your homes. And I think one of the things that's hard is like here and in the States where the biggest wave hasn't really hit us yet. People are like, what's the big deal? But the big deal, it, it's, it's reconciling with a big deal that is to come. And yeah. with the goal being to avoid it. So if you succeed, it looks like it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, I know. I guess I'm of two minds. I feel like I feel like this is like a, a rehearsal for something worse, far worse. Yes. And yes. Um, we're doing pretty badly at that so far. Maybe this is just to like work out the kinks. I'm not sure. But also like there was they also the city here also wants to battle this like teenage because people aren't in school schools are out now too and uh they obviously want to stop this meeting of people in massive crowds drinking in the streets so they were thinking of Im imposing a curfew and they i don't know i don't know where they got their information or what but they decided that uh it wouldn't do anything like the the cost didn't the cost-benefit analysis just didn't work out in the favor of the curfew, so we don't have a curfew, which I think is nice. I'm grateful that we don't have a curfew, because then I would feel... Well, what's the cost? Like, they're just saying we have enough hospital beds for a bunch of sick teenagers? Well, they just don't think that it would do so enough. Like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't do anything to have a curfew. Like, it wouldn't... It wouldn't prevent people... I don't know. Right. People would meet in apartments then. I don't know. House parties. I don't know. Right. People would Quiet. find a way. If people wanted Quiet to. Quiet house parties. Exactly. If people wanted to, like, meet in groups, they'll find a way. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I think aside from a few, I don't know, not a few. I'm also not, luckily, very luckily, I don't live in this neighborhood. But uh, so I don't see them and have to do have to walk through them all the time but where is it like in kreuzberg uh, i think neukölln is a real oh. big one but probably also around in kreuzberg are there tourists still there <laughs> i don't think so i don't know i don't see tourists oh they took all the e-scooters off the roads i'm so happy there's no fucking e-scooters anywhere <laughs> oh man they're coming here and in la there was something very apocalyptic about them being kind of tossed all over the place in la i was like this is 
and people scooting around on them wasted. Oh, I'm I like, know. The, it's the these worst. things don't look like they're gonna they they look like their brakes are gonna fail. I know, I hate those things. It was apparently in the first week people didn't realize how fast they went and there were all these accidents. Oh, they go really fast. <laughs> yeah. And they almost got banned within the first week. But I don't know, maybe they just generate too much income for somebody. I mean, I remember in Berlin being scared of just pedestrians who were so drunk they were falling on my bike. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and also drunk pedestrians at like 9, 10 in the morning because there's no light inside the building they were dancing in, so they don't know. (laughs) Well, we don't just have to talk about this sickness, though. I mean, we've been talking for a bit, but... Um, I did want to know your outlook about hope in general. Um, I don't know. It's, I'm, (laughs) I don't know. The kind of life that, uh, I lead here, (laughs) it's, I don't know if I feel, if I could say I'm hopeful for too many things. Can you, can can you help me find a better question to ask people? (laughs) Um... I mean, well, no, I actually did say earlier, I was hopeful that this predicament we find ourselves in um, will have like some positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, what about op- before all this? I mean, I guess I mean, I guess my question is like, like, I know you quite well, and we have similar outlooks in that we're quite gloomy about things, but we also... <laughs> But we also both compulsively create art and put things out in the world. So I wh- think, why are we doing that? <laughs> um, why are you doing that? Do you know? Not really. I mean, I do it right now. I'm making a rug. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. It's a really meditative thing for me. It's like crocheting. I crochet a lot. You taught me to crochet, by the way. I forgot that I taught you. That's yeah. see, that's that's the right kind of virus. <laughs> passing along <laughs> passing along craft knowledge. Yeah, totally. And I find it really I find it not only meditative, I find it a really good way to um experiment for myself. I don't think I would ever call myself an artist. I don't know that I create art. I make things I make a lot of things but uh I I mean I never went to art school so when it comes to things like color theory I mix thread <laughs> to yeah, see but what's you, gonna happen mu- mu- music is art I guess so but that also is an experiment I mean in, you know that I never I never sought out to be a performing musician <laughs> yeah talk about that a bit <laughs> I love it. <laughs> How I ended up on stage. Yeah. Uh, um, stage, Leah Bukharev's favorite place. <laughs> uh, I, it's actually okay now, but, um, but it's, I mean, it's the exact same thing as crocheting to me. I could put myself in the same headspace, I guess, when I'm on stage because I'm not looking at the audience. That's a really important thing for me. And... So Leah has, if I may, uh, this is the joke I always made, is that <laughs> Leah, Leah, um, you can explain how you feel about being on stage, but she uh, she sort of built herself what I call a Jim Morrison persona. <laughs> what? Really? Not, not <laughs> facing the crowd, but it's for personal reasons, not reasons of mystique building. <laughs> uh, 
but it, that you, it works, I guess, as a mystique because people are really baffled by it. Um, I know. You've built yourself a very <laughs> fascinating stage presence, but it's it's anxiety-based? It's absolutely anxiety-based. The first time I got up on stage um, was in front of a lot of people. And I have to say, okay, so I started, uh, Aiden had this band, if anybody doesn't know this, Aiden had this band. He, uh, not a band, he had this project and he wanted to do something more with it. So I played bass with him on a record and he got a record deal from this thing that we recorded. And at the time, I mean, it's probably the same case now, but when you got a label to put out your record, it was implied that you would have to tour and play live. And I know that Aiden was really happy when this happened. And I remember when this call came in and I was just like, fuck, in my head, I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. This is like horrifying. And I didn't want to ruin it for Aiden. (laughs) Right. So I don't know. I did it. I went along and yeah, I don't know. That first first time on stage. Yeah, what was the first performance like? Um, It was in Montreal. It was... uh, at a Sala Rosa. Okay. And it's, I don't know, there was a couple hundred, a few hundred people in the crowd. And I mean, I just, I, I drank quite a bit before (laughs) because I was terrified, but I knew I couldn't drink so much that I would forget how to play the songs. And, uh, but really as soon as I like got on stage and I looked at everyone, I just kind of slowly turned around (laughs) and that was it. I just like, I just could not, I could not look at them. I could not see them and their scary, scary judging faces. (laughs) Also the music that Leah and Aiden play is like, um, doom, doom metal. Yeah. It's like long droney also can be quite meditative. So the people looking at you can be kind of like, in it and look judgmental because their faces are like <laughs> flat like they're just feeling the this like long 20 minute emotional arc of music <laughs> so i i could see you reading judgment when it's not happening <laughs> and maybe they are i don't know but i've never i've never been good in front of an audience i totally you do it all the time no <laughs> well i mean i do do it all the time but with my back to them for the most part and in the dark i i I request as minimal lighting as possible. (laughs) I mean, I know you, so I know why you're doing this, but it also is so mystique. (laughs) It's the only way I can get through it. And it's the only way that I could like look at it as crochet (laughs) and in my own sort of space, I guess. It's also, it's also funny, like it raises the question of if it's implied that you have to tour and people want this live experience, what is it that they want from a live experience? They want to stare at your face? Or do they want to feel the music in the room with other people? And you're still providing that. Well, and I mean, it's a benefit that I play really loud music because it could be a, it could be a physical, I could make it a physical experience then so people don't have to look at me. Like it's a physical, like you're sharing a physical experience with them? Yeah, I'm making Instead their, of a visual one? Yeah, I'm making their stomachs turn a bit and vibrate. What have you, what have you taken away from being in the metal scene? 
Actually, in the metal scene, people are incredibly generous and nice, and the audiences are... Okay, well, when we started, metal in Europe was, like, really old-school metal, and people just really hated us. Um, but that's changed a lot. I don't know. It's a, I, I, really, I, I really love our audiences. We have some really great people who come to shows. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice. I, I like talking to people after the show. <laughs> Before the show, I still feel like throwing up. and But afterwards, I... I don't know. I really like connecting with the audiences actually that way. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been, I've done merch sometimes for your shows, which is very funny because nobody wants to talk to me. I think there's like this, there's like this built in thing that the bands sell their own merch and it's how you get to meet them. I, I guess so. That's not always the case, but we do often do that. Well, but I, I mean, I just, I could, there were people milling around who were like, yeah. you're not going to buy it from me because yeah. they don't want to meet me. <laughs> So I definitely remember that experience. And then, yeah, watching you talk to this, like, giant sweaty man <laughs> who was, like, really shy to meet you was something very special to behold. <laughs> Leah's quite small. Um, I also, I kind of want to talk about your family. Um, I have family in the States. I have a lot of family there, even though my parents are Canadian residents. Um, there is people there. I mean, for them, I mean... Like on both yeah. coasts, actually. I have two brothers who are living in the U.S. And so my parents are not far from family, which is good. I, I know. I'm just so scared that things are really going to break down. Yeah. I'm a... I don't know. Am I Am I too scared? Am I overworried? Are you, I don't know. I don't know if you're overworried. I sometimes feel overly optimistic in these things. I mean... Mm-hmm. I feel, I, oh, I, I guess, I guess if I don't feel hopeful about something, I do feel optimistic. And I don't know if this is because I live in a little left-wing bubble, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. I mean. I've been thinking a lot about the left-wing bubble. Yeah. And I really feel like I, I live pretty deeply inside it and. I don't know, like four months ago, I was already thinking Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were just going to be on the ticket together. And that's just how it was going to be. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. no. Co-presidents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not even vice president. Like, they're so socialist that they're like co-parenting the country. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just feeling so good about it all. I don't know. And I, I just feel constantly disappointed. But also, I'm a very optimistic person, actually. I could, I could like, think really negatively a lot. But I think I'm still optimistic. I feel like with all the shit that's happening in the US right now, there's still, like, there's so many... I'm saying like too much, sorry. There's <laughs> so many, <laughs> like, good people who see things and, like see that some things are just really necessary and i don't know i'm still yeah this is this is the thing i mean i i've defended the america a lot in canada um because i i love the united states of america and i kind of want to make that clear i went to school there i um have some incredible all i have hundreds of amazing friends doing incredible Mm -hmm. things in the states and 
um, there's something special and good about America in its, it, it, it rolls up its sleeves and gets to work at its best. At its and, best. And when you look at it as like the centralized government is broken, but so is Canada's. And, yeah. and this is the thing. I mean, like this administration is really kind of bringing to the fore the fact that the government system is broken. And I think I listened to an interview with um, Governor Cuomo from the New York Times mm-hmm. where he was like, up until now, we didn't need government to be effective, like the federal government. And now we do. Mm-hmm. Like it, we've just never seen a crisis like this. But what's amazing is what's happening without an effective government. Yeah. And and that comes down to people and a general attitude that's like in their bones that's, that is different and unique and is wonderful. But at the and same time. That's there. It's true. That is there. But it that that sort of thing also worries me because it makes people less want to want a decent government. If, yes, absolutely. If the people I mean, are I'm just, just trying always... to highlight that there are good people doing good yeah. things. But yeah, but the shift to then let's trust the government to to do good things and be socialist and let's give them all our money and let them redistribute it. That's where the disconnect is happening. Yeah, right? yeah. But, you know, the people that you and I know in the States, the people we we, we know, like the craft organizers across yeah. the continent and what they're doing now, they're they're all mobilizing. They're sending out PDF patterns to sew um, fabric face masks mm-hmm. for areas that are running out of them for the medical professionals. They're dropping them off at hospitals. These are the people that we know. These are the networks that exist there outside the government. Yeah, it is very and, nice. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it'll help your family i hope so (laughs) i'm very scared i don't know i mean (laughs) yeah i don't i don't know either i mean my family that lives in the u.s also (laughs) probably wouldn't want that help (laughs) fair enough (laughs) some of my family not i mean my um, i mean my immediate family as in my siblings yeah yeah, well, that's that's another thing. We're going to have to learn to both give and accept generosity in, in this time to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I see it. It's nice. It's people, I mean, people have been really supportive of the band even. And I know of a lot of bands and people, a lot of musicians are really, really suffering because it's touring season coming up. People are coming, all the festivals are starting up in April through July and people are supposed to be setting up their massive tours and all of those are canceled. And that's income that people rely on living on. And I don't know, it's been, it's been quite weird, but consumers of music and fans have been really so good and so generous I mean, everybody is losing some income, even people who yeah. are like buying the music and stuff, they, they're they also going to be hit. So it's, that's really heartening. That's really, it's really heartening to see people kind of come together and help each other this way. Yeah. And like you said, it's like a practice run. And I think, I think it's important that we go forward looking at it that way and saying, okay, Who's got notes? <laughs> How do we improve for next time? Because it's going to be worse. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. It's been weird to see friends uh, reacting differently to it, too. Some some people are really, really, really holed up in their apartments and some with kids. And apartments here are pretty generous, but 
they don't compare to houses in North America if you have children. And I don't know, it'd be so tough, be so hard. I couldn't do it. I need to go outside. I do still need some fresh air. And then some people are just completely appalled by it. And I mean, part of the being appalled by it is this worry of this like government stepping in and telling us that what we can and can't do actually with our physical bodies <laughs> in the city and moving around. And I do understand that worry, but... I mean, Germany's a place where there's like, or I guess the East, where there's that like staunch nudity movement. Oh, yeah. In in, in the East of Germany, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I remember, exactly. I remember being in um, Munich. Is that the East? No, but... No. But anyway, I was in Munich and I was in this this park and they kind of said like on the one side of this canal through the park, that's where you are allowed to be naked. And the other side is for people who don't want to be naked. So I was like, this is great. Germany is very good at these rules and respectful Mm -hmm. boundaries like that. Anyway, I was like having a picnic with friends and this we were on the non-nude side and this guy (laughs) on the nude side just stood up against the canal, like (laughs) bracing forward. And it's like, (laughs) it's that's somewhere between maybe you're being a pervert or also you're like so staunchly showing off your proud nudity that I'm but I'm also like okay though don't you have any friends to hang out with like no one cares that you're naked just stop pointing your wiener at us kind of thing and I don't I don't mind being naked in a park I just didn't like this vibe of like your space has been given to you you don't just show off your dick you know (laughs) very weird but there's like there's this like history where things have been taken away that makes it yeah. so scary. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, a lot of that comes from even the the nudity parts come from a sort of anti uh, anti ruling government kind of thing. Like the ruling governments didn't actually approve of that. That was a people movement and the right yeah, to do that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like your body is yeah. political. Yeah. In these contexts. So yeah, even definitely. that so so there are people who are just like Fuck you! I'm not gonna stay in. I'm not gonna do what you tell me. Yeah, yeah. Or they, or or they like see it as really dangerous. They see the path to closing more and more things off as dangerous. They're worried yeah. about it. I mean, yeah, I can see that. I mean, Germany is not an authoritarian government, but there are governments very nearby. <laughs> that border on it and when borders start to close and there's still lots of refugees out there moving around i don't know it's it's a little bit it's a little scary it's a little bit weird the free movement of people to suddenly stop that i could see people being worried by that um well as per usual, we haven't ended on the happiest note. I've got to learn to structure my questions differently. Does this happen with every single one? It's No, it's sort of been in the past few weeks. I think we've all got a lot on our minds. I guess so, yeah. Um, and, 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 it's, and honestly, I kind of feel like I, I've I've made a project about hope and it does feel absolutely wrong to like end on a happy note and go, well, anyway, this every week. So this feels right. Um, Leah, where can... <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet? Where can they find your music? Where can they buy your music if they'd like to support you? Um, oh, they could 
get it from our Bandcamp, um, which is a wonderful platform and so much nicer than like Spotify or something. Just saying. Oh, and Bandcamp. But, uh, I don't know if they've kept it, but they're they're doing these sort of one day things where they're waiving all of their fees and giving it all to artists. Yeah, that was on Friday. That was really really great. That was really nice. I think Bandcamp's website was broken for a little while, actually, from all because the. Of support which is very nice as well um and so what's the url hold on one second i don't uh it's not my job to log into it very often (laughs) (laughs) but uh oh no it's it's just it's just nadja it's just nadja.bandcamp.com n-a-d-j-a yeah that's right okay thanks dude thanks becky it was so nice talking with you nice talking to you too Okay, dude, bye. Bye, Becky. I love you. I love you, too. (laughs) (laughs) The H Word Podcast is happy to be part of the Shop family of productions. Follow the shop on Instagram at the underscore shop TO. Artwork this week by Scott Waters, and our theme music is always by Laura Barrett. Special thanks this week to Aiden Baker. For information on all our artists and guests, please follow us everywhere at the H Word Pod or sign up for our newsletter at the H Word Pod.com. <laughs> <laughs>